Well, amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning and go with me, if you would, please, to the gospel according to Matthew, the second chapter, Matthew chapter number two. If you have been keeping up with the uh, daily devotional videos that are on our Facebook page and our YouTube channel, you know that recently we've been looking at this passage in Matthew chapter number two, the visit of the wise men to Jerusalem. And uh, we come back to that uh, passage this morning, Matthew chapter number two. We'll begin reading in verse number one. The Bible says that now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together and demanded of them where Christ should be born, and they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when he had opened, when they had rather, when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream, that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. The Bible tells us that in verse number two, these wise men who had come to Jerusalem, when they entered into Jerusalem, uh, no doubt it was evident that these were men who were not uh, citizens of Jerusalem, but that they were travelers. It's evident probably to them as they saw them that they uh, not only were travelers, but these were men of, of means. They were men of renown. And so immediately they got the attention of the people of Jerusalem as they entered in to the city. And when they entered in, they were asked a question of these visitors. I want you to see it in verse number two. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? This is not the question of those who were hoping for the birth of the Messiah. This is the question asked by those who were acknowledging, not that they were hopeful of his birth, but that he had been born. And this was news to the people of Jerusalem. Apparently, they had no idea 
uh, that the king of the Jews, the Messiah, the son of God, had been born into the world. Now, that's a bit perplexing for us because as we look at the story, as it unfolded in Luke chapter number two, the angels appeared by night to the shepherds and the glory of God was in the sky. It shone round about them. You would imagine that somebody heard about that or saw that. The shepherds, having heard the heavenly host sing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men, they went to Bethlehem and they found the babe in the manger. And the Bible says that afterwards they went abroad and published the saying. And the people who heard the saying were filled with wonder and amazement. You would imagine the news had made its way to Jerusalem. But just like uh, the current day culture, the news cycle is short, right? And these people had long forgotten had they even heard the news of the birth of the Messiah. And so when these visitors, these magi who have come from the east, enter into Jerusalem with the question, where is he? We know he's here somewhere. Tell us where he is. They had no answer. Now, these magi, no doubt, were men from the east, as the Bible tells us. They were wise men. They were men who had come perhaps from Persia or maybe even Babylon. Uh, the Bible speaks of the role of magi in the Old Testament. We understand that the Pharaoh had his magicians, and his magicians were able uh, to uh, counterfeit some of the works that Moses and Aaron did. In fact, there were three miracles that Moses and Aaron performed uh, that the magicians were able to perform with their enchantments. But God revealed his supremacy over the world and over Egypt and over Satan uh, through the continual works that he did in bringing judgment upon Egypt with those ten plagues. Then we go to the story of Daniel in Daniel chapter number two, and Daniel is a captive. He's living in Babylon. And while in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar the king had a dream. It was a very disturbing dream. It was a dream that he could not remember. And so he called in his magicians, his astrologers, and he told them, fellas, I've had a dream. I'm telling you this in East Tennessee, Western North Carolina vernacular. I'm not versed in the Chaldean and Babylonian vernacular, but he basically said, gentlemen, I've had a dream and I'm really disturbed about it, but I can't remember it. And you guys need to tell me what I dreamed and you need to tell me what it means. And they basically said, there's nobody on earth who can do that. And he said, if you guys don't tell me, then what good are you? I'm going to have you all put to death. So everybody in Babylon was troubled, and Daniel heard about it in Daniel chapter number 2. And in verse number 14, the Bible said, Then Daniel chapter 2 and verse 14 of Daniel, Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time. 
that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hanani, Mishael, Azariah, his companions. And they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O God of my fathers. Thou hast given me wisdom and might and hast made known unto me now that was desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. God revealed to Daniel the dream of Nebuchadnezzar and he revealed to uh, Daniel, the meaning of the dream. And if you remember the dream, Nebuchadnezzar saw an image in the dream, and that image uh, portrayed and visualized, if you would, the history of the kingdoms of this world and God's dealing with those kingdoms. From the time of Nebuchadnezzar going forward until the time of the coming of the Lord, in that vision, the kingdoms of the earth were seen. And as we look back now, having that vantage, the one that uh, Daniel did not have, we can see how that God fulfilled his word and has fulfilled his word throughout history according to his prophecy that he gave. And if there was one group of people who should have understood what was going to happen, it should have been the Jews in Jerusalem. But they weren't looking for it. And so they were surprised when these magi, these men of the east came. And by the way, these magi, these men of the east, whose hearts were no doubt won to Daniel when Daniel sought the meaning of the dream and the interpretation and received it of the Lord, he won their influence, he won their hearts, he gained influence with them and taught them no doubt the truth. And that truth was perpetuated among them from generation to generation, and they were looking for the coming of the Messiah. While the people who were the Jews, who were the stewards of the truth, who had the prophecies, who had the law, who had the scriptures, were not. And so when they came into town and they asked the question, where is he that is born king of the Jews? We find three responses. I'll give them to you in the form of just one word. Number one, we see trouble. Number two, we see truth. Number three, we see treasure. Let's look at them. First of all, trouble. The Bible said, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem 
with him. You see, here come these outsiders, and they're looking around at the people who should have known he was there saying, where is he? And they're all going, what are you talking about? We're talking about the birth of the king of the Jews, the Messiah. Where is he? Well, we don't know. We haven't heard that he's been born. And so when they got the news, they were troubled. They were troubled. By the way, when the world hears the news of Christ today, people do not respond as we might anticipate they would. They respond not with rejoicing. They respond with anxiety and with trouble. Notice that we see that Herod, first of all, was troubled. Verse number three, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. Herod held no interest in the Messiah. He was an Edomite. He was a king appointed by the Roman Empire. As an Edomite, he was a descendant of Esau. You remember Esau, don't you, in the Old Testament? The one who despised his birthright? The one who had no use for the things of God? A man who had an appetite for the flesh and the world and had no desire for spiritual things? A man who profaned that which is holy. And here we find one of his descendants now sitting upon the throne of Israel, the king. He's a usurper. The throne does not belong to him. And as the magi, as the wise men come into Jerusalem, the usurper hears the news that the rightful king has now been born. He's alive. Where is he? And Herod was troubled. Why? Because he was a man who was power hungry. He was a man who was bloodthirsty. He was an immoral man. He was a wicked man. And he did not want to lose his position. He did not want to lose his power. He cared not for the people of Israel. He cared not for the things of God. He only cared for himself. He was a politician's politician. Not much unlike what we find today filling the houses of government in our land. People who care not for the people, leaders who care not for the people, but who care for themselves and their position and their power and their wealth. And so when he heard the news of the king, how did he respond? He was troubled. Troubled that someone had come to take back the throne of Israel. Troubled that someone would depose him and remove him from a place of authority and position. Troubled that he would be held accountable for the unjust acts and the wickedness of his life. Troubled by the news that the Messiah was here. Do you know that when people hear the message of Christ, oftentimes they respond by being troubled in their heart, and their desire is to remove him 
from their lives, to remove the influence of his word and of his church from the realm of the public domain. There is no desire among many to hear the message of Christ. Why? Because there's an acknowledgement that they are not in charge, but that he is. That they will be held accountable for their sin. The Bible tells us in John chapter 3, this is the condemnation that men love darkness rather than light. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He's come into this world. But the Bible tells us that men will not come to the light lest the deeds of their heart be reproved. You see, we love our sin. We love our habits. We love our pet sins and our iniquities. And to bring them under the light of God's truth and to be exposed for who we are is an uncomfortable proposition for many of us. The thought of giving up our sin and our wickedness, the thought of acknowledging that Jesus is the king and bowing to him causes many to be troubled. I remember a day in our nation when it was common for people to say at this time of the year to one another, Merry Christmas. In our school growing up, in our public school growing up, we sang Christmas carols and songs about the Lord Jesus, and we told the story of the babe born in the manger. That was a part of our public school life. But something's changed in America in recent years. No longer can you mention the name of Christ in a public gathering we have allowed the enemies of God to remove Christ from the scene. Now, you're not supposed to say it's not politically correct for someone to say, Merry Christmas. That phrase is too exclusive. Now we're told to say something like, Happy Holidays. We're told that doing so will help us to become more inclusive. But the truth is, inclusiveness is not the agenda. It's exclusiveness. It's the exclusive, uh, the exclusion of Christ from the scene. As Herod wanted to remove the Lord Jesus from the scene 2,000 years ago, so the enemies of God desire to remove him today. I ran across this recently. The Attorney General of Michigan uh, was lamenting the fact that a clerk in the store had offended her and her young son. Uh, her name is, her last name is Nestle. I think the first name is Dana. She is the attorney general of the state of Michigan. And she recently put in the form of a tweet on social media. I remember the first time I was at a store with my son and an employee said, Merry Christmas to us. My son looked devastated. As asked, are we the only people who don't celebrate Christmas? I answered, no. And we are just as American as everyone else. Uh, this lady now has equaled or, or, or somehow brought in synonymous terms the truth of Christ and what constitutes someone being an American citizen. Uh, whether you're an American citizen or not has nothing to do with the reality 
that Jesus the king has come. Later on, she wrote, Happy holidays this time of year does not denigrate Christianity. It simply acknowledges and respects the great diversity of our nation and includes each and every one of us who call ourselves proud Americans. Do you see the agenda of this lady and those who think like her is clear. Their agenda is to get rid of the king to remove him, to remove any record of him, to remove any acknowledgement of him. Why? Because there is a usurper on the throne today. Do you know who the usurper is? Do you know who the God of this world is? It's the devil. He took the title deed in the garden from Adam. Thank you very much, Adam. I'll take over now. He's the God of this world. But one day, the king is coming. And I want you to know when he comes, Satan will be bound and cast into the pit for a thousand years, and King Jesus will rule and reign upon this earth. It'll be a time of justice and righteousness like this world has never known. But they were troubled. Troubled because they don't like the idea of Jesus ruling. They like the idea that they would rule. Not only was Herod the king troubled, but the people of Jerusalem were troubled. Why were they troubled? Because these outsiders had come in and said, hey, where's the Messiah? We know he's been born. We've seen his star in the east. And they said, wait a minute, that's news to us. We were the people who should have known it all along. Somehow we missed him. And let me just say to you, in the midst of all of this hustle and bustle in our world, in the midst of all of the, uh, of the issues which clamor for our attention and for our time, the distractions and the media and all the things that are going on in our lives, if we're not careful, we can miss him too. And though they were troubled by the news of his appearance, It's really interesting to note that they weren't troubled enough to trouble themselves with the task of going with those wise men to Bethlehem. People have a, a surface-level curiosity about the Lord, a surface-level knowledge. How content are you with what you know of Christ? Are you willing to go further? Are you willing to trouble yourself? to get into the Bible, to go and worship the Savior. We see trouble here. The second thing we see is truth. The Bible says in verse number five, and they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Now what had happened? The troubled king says, wait a minute, get the scribes, get the Pharisees. These people ought to know where he'll be born. I mean, if he's been born, we've got to find him because we got to get rid of him. In fact, Herod would try to do so. He had all of the young children in Bethlehem killed because he wanted Jesus killed. So he says, where's he going to be born? They grab the scribes, Pharisees, they sit down. He says, tell me, where, where is it that he will be born? And they answered in verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea. How did they know that? Notice in verse 5, for thus it is, what's the next word, church? 
It's written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. You see, if we want to know about Christ, there's one place we can look to. The Scripture. The Bible. The Word of God. Do you know what the Bible is? It's God's book. It is a revelation of God himself to mankind. God has revealed himself to us in his book. Now, you know, I'm always amused when they interview uh, historians and uh, so-called theologians who want to counter-attack uh, or, or, or uh, counter in some way the Word of God to tell us that the Bible is not accurate and to tell us what Jesus was really like. And we've seen these programs before, you know, uh, th th that portray Jesus in a different light than the Scripture portrays him. And they base these things not on fact but upon theory. Here we have in the pages of the Word of God, we have the book of God. Now, let me ask you a question. If the God of this universe is powerful enough to speak this world into existence and to form us from the dust of the ground and to breathe into our nostrils the breath of life, is he not able to give us then his word? And what kind of God would we have if he created us and made us and then left us in the dark concerning who he was? You see, we have a God who is righteous and holy, a God who has revealed himself to us. But we also understand that the Satan, that the devil, the serpent, is working uh, to, to deceive us as he began to work in the Garden of Eden, questioning the accuracy of what God said, questioning the character of God. And many have fallen prey to his tactics. You see, if we want to know about Jesus, we've got to get into the Scripture. John chapter 5 and verse 39, Jesus said, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Jesus himself said, If you want to know about me, get into the Bible. In John 17, 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Where do we find the truth in a world filled with deception? <clears throat> we find it in the word of God. No doubt this world is filled with deception. Paul wrote to Timothy concerning the last days, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. When you look around at what's happening, and the decisions people are making, the activities they're engaged in, the philosophies that they espouse, the lies that they spew. Don't you wonder how, did they, how is it that they came to believe these things? Things that are unreasonable, things that are contradictory to nature and natural law, things that under the guise of science they say and affirm, although it contradicts the very science they say they believe in. 
I'll tell you how they espouse them. Because evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. We live in an age of deception. The spirit of Antichrist is here. Jesus said concerning that day in Matthew 24 and verse 23, Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible... They shall deceive the very elect. The Lord says the deception in the last days will be so strong that if it were possible, the very elect would be deceived. He's not speaking of our ability to be deceived because if we have the spirit of God, we have the truth of God, we have the word of God to guide us. But he's speaking of the level of the seductiveness and the deception of the spirit of the age. And as we walk in this wicked, wicked world where evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse, what is it that we need? It is discernment. That's why so many are troubled today when they see the government seizing control when they see people being herded like cattle, when they see a concerted effort to remove certain ideas and thoughts from the public realm of discourse, they're troubled. Why are they troubled? Because they know from the truth of God's word that this is a tactic of the devil to deceive the masses, to lead them from Christ, and to lead them to himself, and ultimately to destruction. And Herod sought to deceive these wise men, did he not? Notice it again. Having heard the truth in verse 7, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. Herod had no interest in worshiping him, but he pretended to. And God gave these wise men discernment and told them and warned them, Don't join with Herod. And as God's people, we cannot join with the spirit of this age. And with the devil. I think of the words of Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 20. When he answered his enemies, he said, He said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. The world is perplexed that Christian people want to meet and assemble together to worship God. They don't understand it. Recently, one of our past presidents lamented the fact that people vote because of their convictions about truth and not because of behaviors of certain people. In other words, people like you and I who believe that life is sacred and no child should be murdered in the womb are villainized because we vote what we believe, our convictions, 
and we refuse to go along with the narrative of the day. They don't understand us. And the reason they don't is because they're deceived. And we who have the truth have the responsibility to embrace it, to live it, and to proclaim it in this dark world. And if ever there was a time when the world needed to hear the truth, it's today. As we enter into 2021, we finish 2020, I want to ask you, how is your relationship with the truth? We saturate our minds with social media and with television and with the, the media forms of this world. We hear the fear mongers and, and we hear the deceptive messages of uh, those who seek to remove Christ from the scene. And if we're not careful, it will affect the way we begin to think. And it has already begun to affect the way we think. And then it affects our behavior. And this is where Satan seeks to win the battle with the Christian in the realm of the mind. That's why we need the truth. That's why we have got to develop the discipline to get into the word of God and not base our thoughts on our emotions and our feelings, which are very shallow and prone to be changed moment by moment. But we must learn what God has said in his word. And this will give us discernment. And this will equip us in these dark days. When Christ came, the announcement was made. We see trouble. We see truth. Here's the last thing. Treasure. Treasure. George Beverly Shea sang this song, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. You know why he could sing that song? Because he found real treasure. George Beverly Shea could have been a, one of the most renowned singers in the world. He had opportunities to do that, but he turned from that and said, I'm going to serve the Lord. I had the privilege of being in his home just a week before he died getting to sit with him and talk to him and hear him sing. I've got video that I took in his home. What happened to George Beverly Shea? He found a treasure that surpassed all treasure. He found the key. He found Jesus. That's what these wise men found. 
They followed the star. They followed the scriptures, and they found the Savior. Notice it in verse number 9. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. And when they saw him, notice what they did. They fell down and worshiped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. You see, they found the treasure. They found Jesus, in whom are hid all the treasures of God's wisdom. Jesus. Everything we need, we find in him. We find truth. We find love. We find grace. We find mercy. We find forgiveness. We find compassion. We find joy. We find eternal life. We find one who cares, one who intercedes, one who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. We find our hope. We find our supply. We find our shepherd when we find Jesus. They found their treasure. And in response to what they had found, what did they do? The Bible says in verse number 11, they opened their treasures. You see, once they found true treasure, they had no difficulty opening their treasures and giving to Jesus. Now, he didn't ask for it. He's an infant. They gave it. Why? Because their hearts were filled with love and devotion. They saw the one who was their savior, the redeemer, the creator, and they fell at his feet. And they opened their treasures and gave. What did they give? They gave gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold is the gift of kings. It's what kings receive. What were they declaring? Here's the king. Jesus the son of David, uh, on his mother Mary's side, a descendant of David, on his adopted father uh, Joseph's side, the son of David, he was truly the rightful king. And all the people knew it. Even the blind man knew it when he said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Here he was, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the son of David. He deserves our gold. Then we see the next gift, frankincense. Incense that was used in the worship of God. Here they're declaring not only is he a king, but he is God. He's the God of very gods. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Here he is, God in flesh, incarnate, in their presence. They see the creator, the son of God, and they bow and they worship him and they offer praise to him. The incense of praise given to this child. And then they offer to him myrrh. Myrrh 
is a spice. It is a perfume. It's a fragrance. It is used in the anointing of the bodies of the dead. Remember when Jesus was taken from the cross, Joseph of Arimathea begged the body of Christ, and Nicodemus went and bought the ointment, and they carried his body to the tomb, and they anointed his body. Myrrh was used. Myrrh was also offered to Christ in the drink as he suffered there upon the cross. They offered for him to drink this drink this wine mingled with myrrh. Why did they offer that to him? Because it was designed to deaden the pain and the sensitivity of his suffering, and he refused it. What does this myrrh speak of then? It speaks of the suffering Savior, the one who bore our sin, the one who suffered our death and suffered our hell. Is he not today worthy of our worship? Can you come before this king and offer to him your gold? Can you offer to him the frankincense, the incense of worship? Can you offer to him this myrrh that speaks of his suffering? But we like our comfort. We don't like to be inconvenienced, let alone to suffer. Are you willing to be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel? Are you willing to suffer for Christ's sake? These men traveled great distances. It took them more than an hour, more than a day, more than a week, more than a month to arrive here. And when they arrived, they found their treasure and they offered to him theirs. As Shay sang, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. As we close our Bibles, as we prepare to pray, I want to ask you a question. Do you have Jesus? Or does the news of his coming trouble you? Does it trouble you because it brings conviction to your heart because there's a reality that you don't know him and that if his words are true, you're headed for hell? Or do you reject that notion altogether? God loves you, sent his son to die for you. Will you receive him as your savior? Would you confess that you're a sinner in need of a savior? that he's the son of God who came and died for you. And why did he do it? Because he loves you, because he desires to save you, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why did he do it? He came so that you wouldn't perish. Would you come to him? As we live in this world that seeks to eradicate and remove the truth, may God help us to shine the light of truth. May God help us to be people of the truth. We have a responsibility, you and I, not just to show up for church every once in a while. We have a responsibility to read and know God's truth and declare it. May God help us to take it seriously.